also see growing immigrant populations in other places like Iowa, like Montana, like Alaska. Uh, and this is really in the South particularly has been a new phenomena. Uh, and it's been something that's reshaped some of the demographics in that part of the country. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On this episode of In the Know, we spoke with Mark Hugo Lopez, Pew's Director of Global Migration and Demography Research. If you're not familiar with Pew, they conduct research on a wide range of topics from U.S. politics and policy to science and society. We talked to Mark about what community colleges need to be aware of in regard to changing demographics. All right. Uh, welcome back to In the Know with ACCT. I am here with Mark Hugo Lopez from Pew, David Connor from ACCT, and Colleen Allen, also from ACCT. And today, our, uh, our primary topic is diversity. And David, do you want to run run down the the basics yeah well so we're actually here at the governance leadership institute for new trustees and um mark hugo lopez uh just gave a presentation on diversity and demographic trends throughout the united states uh and so obviously we're speaking about that in the context of higher education and specifically community colleges this is what trustees and presidents and other college leaders need to know so um Mark, I think the, the, the sensible starting place is to ask you, what is diversity and uh, also equity and inclusivity? What do those mean from the perspective of your work, your research? Well, there's a number of different ways we can look at that. If we look at data, data uh, from the U.S. Census Bureau, for example, that describes the U.S. population, there are many different ways to think about how the U.S. population differs and how today it is different than it was in the past. And that might be one way that we think about diversity. Um, the U.S., for example, on, racial and on its racial and ethnic dimension, is a different place than it was, say, in the 1960s. Back then, about 85% of the U.S. population then was uh, white, non-Hispanic. Today, that share is more like about 65%. So you can see how the nation's changed as the number of Hispanics, the number of Asians particularly, has grown and now make up a larger share of the U.S. population overall. Meanwhile, the share that's black has remained around the same over the course of these many years, about 12 to 13%. Um, but this changing demography of the country is one way in which you might think about diversity. There are many other ways, of course, as well. So for example, um, uh, what about the role of immigration? Uh, much of the diversity of the country in recent years in terms of race and ethnicity has really been driven by the arrival of immigrants and their U.S.-born children who are now coming of age and themselves uh, having children. That arrival of immigrants, about 59 million people, by the way, since 1965, um, has really reshaped the nation's uh, racial and ethnic composition. But there's other ways to think about diversity as well. What about in the way? What about the ways in which people identify their gender? Um, what about the ways in which people uh, think about their own or origins or their own ethnic identity? All of these are different ways in which we might think about diversity. What about religious diversity? What about uh, other forms of diversity, like even political points? Of view. Those are all different ways that one might think about this. But in all honesty, the Census Bureau's data limits us in what we can say, and usually that's around characteristics which are observable, things like race, gender, origins in terms of immigration, et cetera. So um, I, I mentioned to you before we started this conversation on Mike that last year we spoke with uh, Dr. Darian Pollard from Montgomery College about 
similar issues, um, and you're speaking from the data perspective, and she was speaking as a college president. Uh, something that, that was interesting, speaking to the nuance of what diversity means, was that uh, she actually went to, she's from Chicago, and she is an African-American woman. She went to college in Iowa, and she said really the most, um, as culturally the most unsettling thing maybe, the, the most, um, the thing she was least accustomed to was the rural aspect of it um, because there was so much corn. I, I just came back from Iowa, there's so much corn. Um, but I think even in Iowa, it's interesting. We, we've had people on um, among our membership who have said to us in the past that, you know, we, we're, we go for diversity, but our community is not that diverse. Meanwhile, I just recently found uh, out from one of our members that his, uh, I think his niece is transgender in Nebraska um, and, and all of this stuff. So demography is changing significantly from just the observable diversity that you're talking about. With all that in mind, um, how, how would you suggest that colleges throughout the country uh, sort of prepare themselves to be inclusive and make everybody feel welcome, no matter who they are, whether they're the only person or not. Mm. Uh, well, the, the Pew Research Center, we're a nonpartisan, non-advocacy organization, so I'm unable to make uh, any recommendations about policy or what, what folks might be able to do. I do think, though, that naturally, as the new generation of young people, young people coming of age, uh, enter into the potential pool of students and, and or candidates for admission to particular institutions, I think you will find that there will be a naturally an increase in diversity. I think also the up and coming generation, what I might call Generation Z, mm -hmm. but also millennials as well, that these are two generations that have for, for uh, particularly for the millennials for some time, have thought about all the different things that make them uh, different and unique. And not to emphasize it in a good or a bad way, but just to recognize all the different ways in which they see their identity, might, one might even say identities, because it might depend on the circumstances and context. That naturally is already um, playing a role in shaping the uh, types of student bodies who are attending institutions like community colleges. And so I think you're going to naturally see a lot of this occur. Um, perhaps one of the ways to be, uh, to be aware of this or to perhaps be sensitive to it is for uh, administrations and institutions to be open to um, students expressing this diversity in a number of different ways. So that's one way that you might see colleges and universities address this is providing open environments for people to engage and to gather around those different uh, identities. But again, I think that this has naturally been happening. This is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's been going on since the 1970s uh, and this awareness of diversity and new uh, ways of looking at diversity emerging all to me reflect that the young people today, they're comfortable with expressing who they are in ways that wasn't the case in the past, and that's just naturally happening at universities and colleges. Kind of picking up on that, um, we had a conversation with um, some of our consultants that are out there in the field working with our colleges, and we asked them what they're seeing, and they mentioned that the, the changing look of board composition um, meaning they describe them as younger, more activist, and, um, you know, just bringing new ideas to the boardroom. 
that has caused some conflict in places because of generational aspects. I mean, you kind of see it on the larger level too, you know, at the, the, you know, in Congress with, you know, various members of the younger generation who are pretty vocal and the pushback that's coming from other generations, (laughs) older generations. Um, Thinking about that in terms of the impact it'll have on our boards and how welcoming they are, not just to new voices on the board, but welcoming to the uh, new flux of um, students coming in, which also adds a second question I have about, you mentioned earlier about the value of higher education. Are you seeing among generations a different um, perception of the value of the of higher education. So all that kind of wrapped up in it. They're yeah. really two separate questions, but yeah. <laughs> no. But those are great. Those are really really great questions. First, about the diversification of boards. Um, this is part of I think of a broader uh, trend in the U.S. When you take a look at the generations that are diverse, and generations, by the way, is really just some just a really rough construct for how we describe uh, a country. So when I'm thinking about generations here, I'm thinking about people who might be boomers or millennials or what we call Gen Zers, people who are like 21 years of age or young, uh, six to 21 would be the Gen Z category. Um, however, when we think about these groups, one of the things I think that's very interesting is um, the younger gen- the generation you look at the more diverse, at least along racial and ethnic lines, that particular generation is. Also, the younger the generation is, you look at them, the more progressive their points of view tend to be around a whole bunch of issues, including things like gender identity, uh, including things like um, various political progressive movements. So that, to me, is really interesting, and it, it's really just a matter of time till these young people get the experience and the opportunities to become part of the boards that eventually they will be a part of. But there is a pretty significant difference in the generations. Boomers look very different racially and ethnically than Gen Zers. And it's also interesting when you talk about, for example, as, an aside, as a side example, um, the Hispanic vote. People talk about the Latino vote growing and becoming more and more important. It has, but also Hispanics continue to vote at rates that are below those of other groups. Part of the reason for that is because they're so young. So every year about a million young Latinos come of age, and they're shaping and reshaping that, uh, that particular electorate. But the median age for the Hispanic population in the United States is about 28 years. For white non-Hispanics, it's about 42. So that gives you some sense of how big of a gap there is, and that it'll take time for some of these generations to naturally enter into positions like board positions. Even so, millennials, the front edge of millennials are already entering their 40s. So we're starting to see millennials enter into a lot of these positions and perhaps begin to reshape the way in which American boards think about their interactions with different uh, different uh, segments of the U.S. economy. Um, the other question, I don't remember your okay. other question. It was um, yeah. about perceptions of higher education. I know yes. we had talked a little bit about that, if, yeah. if it's a generational viewpoint yeah. or, you know, that's what I'm, I'm getting at. <laughs> so when we take a look at, uh, at, uh, at uh, the value of higher education. Um, while there isn't necessarily a generational difference in the views of the value of education, one of the things we do see is a racial and ethnic difference. So, for example, Hispanics and blacks are more likely to say that all levels of education, college education, um, are, are 
pathways that can lead to better paying jobs. So that's only one way to think about it, but that's one, one thing that we've asked about in our surveys. More so than whites are likely to say that. So that is, I think, an interesting difference. Now, uh, for Hispanics and for uh, uh, blacks, our surveys at the Pew Research Center of young people have long shown that they and their parents value a college education more so than white young people or white uh, or the parents of white young people. So that to me is also very interesting that we've seen this difference in viewpoint, generally speaking, over the course of the last 10 years or so. It, even so, uh, I think you'll find that most Americans, when you ask them, do you think a four-year degree a two-year degree, a professional degree, prepares a young person for uh, a well-paying job in today's uh, economy. You'll find majorities of Americans say that. However, the share that say it about two-year colleges is lower than the share that says it about four-year colleges. Interesting. I was listening to a story last night on the radio of, oh, this is a, a, a high school college counselor and somewhere in the Midwest, and she's, she's first generation herself, and she had a student that was in the top 10% of her class and she wasn't applying to college and she said why aren't you applying and she said you know the young woman burst into tears and said because my family can't afford it she's undocumented anyways she informed her that in I think they were in Illinois in Illinois you can still get in-state tuition if even if you're undocumented and um, but she said the young woman was so upset because she and her family valued the education so much, but mm. it was just unreachable for her. Mm. So um, yeah. I think it's interesting, though, that there has been a, I don't even know if it's a decline or just that it's not on par with blacks and Hispanics in terms of how whites value it. Well, one of, one, of your, uh, one of your participants in the conference did raise exactly this question and made the following observation, that um, for some groups, um, the value of a college education may be important because it's something that's not quite as common. But when you take a look at some other groups, you might find groups for which a college education is quite the norm, that the value of a college education isn't quite seen in quite in, in much the same way. So that may be why for whites, a smaller share say that it's an important way to get a high-paying job compared with uh, compared with Hispanics and blacks who are have a higher share that say it's an important way to get a job. Maybe a little bit about status, maybe a little bit about the experience, maybe a little bit about just the share of people who have such degrees among those groups. So you're talking about how the diversity, as you get younger and younger with the generations, it's increased more and more, and the, the acceptance of diversity and value of diversity has increased more and more. And you know, we were just talking about how eventually those are the people who will be on boards. They'll have the opportunity to do that. Do you see any evidence that that, um, I guess through like an osmosis effect, has worked its way up to older generations, that they, you know, they see this more diverse, younger population that value diversity, you think they're seeing that and saying, oh, you know, maybe we need to be more open to that sort of mm. thing. So while we don't have any hard evidence from surveys that, that look at this exactly, um, generally speaking, there does seem to be this growing awareness of the importance of diversity. Um, even among older generations, about half of Americans, for example, who are boomers, will say that diversity makes the United States a better society. Um, for Gen Zers, that might be about 62, 65% or so that say that. But even so, Americans generally, no matter the generation, are more likely to say that diversity is important for the country compared with 
publics in other parts of the world. So in Europe, for example, not every they're less likely, publics there are less likely to say diversity makes their countries better. Mm -hmm. The U.S. really stands out in this way. The U.S. is also a country that, attend, that has had a history of um, uh, uh, a history of racial and ethnic diversity, arrival of immigrants in a way that many other countries in the world haven't. As an example, we have 45 million people born in another country who live in the U.S. That makes up about 14% of the U.S. population, but no other country even comes close to the U.S. in terms yeah. of the size of its immigrant population, let alone immigrants and their children, let alone the intermarriage rates that we see among Americans compared to other countries. So this all suggests to me that attitudes towards and the uh, views of diversity that Americans have have to some extent spread or become a part of uh, the ethos of being American and also part of uh, the viewpoints of different generations. Sure, not everybody says the same thing and not, and, and even among different generations, different shares say diversity is a good thing for the country. Even so, compared to elsewhere in the world, the U.S. looks different. Yeah. I think um, a few years ago, you presented at our ACCT Leadership Congress, our big uh, conference, and I recall that you, I think you just said 56 million um, people have immigrated to this country since- 59 million 59 since 1965, million. yeah. And that's out of a population of 326 million or so. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I remember you, uh, you were talking about immigration. So this is, um, I'd like to think about this separately for a moment from diversity. And you showed immigration maps throughout the years. And I remember um, looking around at the audience and seeing a lot of, oh, <laughs> because your map showed that going back decades, there's always been a great deal of immigration. It was just from a lot of different countries, primarily European countries. And all that really changed was the origin. Um, so thinking about immigration and diversity uh how do those is there a confluence between those uh the perceptions of those phenomenons and and phenomena and the way that they're responded to mm. by the public do you do research on that mm -hmm. and um projections are, are there any projections about how we'll continue to change yeah all great questions so first just a little bit of uh some facts about immigrants to the united states so in 1965, the U.S. did change its laws around immigration and who could come to the U.S. The 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act really changed the way the U.S. admitted people compared to the past. So our current system of immigration really comes out of this 1965 law. But in 1965, with the change in that law and the elimination of quotas on different uh, people coming from different parts of the world for the most part, we started to see a more diverse group of people arrive in the U.S. than had been the case in the past. In the 19th century, it was largely Irish and German. In the early 20th century, it was largely uh, Southern European, Italian, and Eastern European, Polish uh, 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 migration. Since 1965, half of all the 59 million immigrants who've arrived uh, have been from Latin America. About another quarter have been from Asia. So together, these two places have really reshaped the demographics of immigrants arriving in the country. So today's immigrant population is of a very different set of origins than in the past. Now, 
uh, these immigrants who have been in the United States for many years have had families here, and many of them have intermarried with uh, people who were not immigrants. And so what we've seen is the growing racial and ethnic diversity of the country has been driven to a large extent by the growing racial and ethnic diversity of people arriving from other parts of the world. Um, without immigration, the U.S. population would have grown, but would have grown at a much slower pace. Uh, Hispanics and Asians together account for almost 90% of the nation's uh, population growth in the last 10 years. So when you're talking about population growth, it is really immigrants and their children who are making some of the big contributions to the way in which the United States uh, is changing. What else is interesting about this is, another important fact is, the nation's foreign-born population has dispersed around the country. So we oftentimes think about immigrants in places like California, Texas, Florida, Illinois, New York. Um, those are all very, very important destinations still for immigrants. Miami, for example, has a very high share of its population that's foreign-born. Almost half is born in another country. Um, but we also see growing immigrant populations in other places like Iowa, like Montana, like Alaska. Uh, and this is really, in the South particularly, has been a new phenomena. Uh, and it's been something that's reshaped some of the demographics in that part of the country. So I think you'll find that many institutions like community colleges in these, in these locations are going to start to encounter more immigrants or the U.S.-born children of immigrants or perhaps also immigrants who enter the country without authorization and um, perhaps would benefit for something like the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DREAMers uh, legislation, or sorry, executive order that the Obama administration put in place many years ago. Um, how is this affecting the attitudes and viewpoints that Americans have about diversity? Well, uh, first let's talk about immigrants. Since the 1990s, Americans' views about immigrants have changed. They've become more of the view that immigrants strengthen our country than of the view that immigrants are a burden to our country. So we've seen a growing share. In fact, the numbers have virtually reversed from the mid-90s. In the mid-90s, two-thirds of Americans would have said immigrants were a burden to our country because they take jobs, housing, and health care. Today, two-thirds will say immigrants strengthen our country because of their hard work and talents. That is a reversal from where we were. And it is also a trend that is one of the sharpest trends of countries around the world. Not everybody around the world sees immigrants as a strength to their countries. In fact, many places are more likely to see them as a burden than a strength. Um, that's a major change in viewpoints about immigrants. Now, I wonder whether or not our surveys are picking up an adult population that is now large, that has got a large foreign-born component and the children of immigrant parents <laughs> that may be helping to shape some of the points of view of Americans. Um, but also, that because immigrants have also brought uh, diversity in terms of race and ethnicity, Americans have also been growing to the point of view that diversity is good for the country. As we talked about a little bit earlier, majority of Americans say that diversity makes the United United States a better place to live. Um, and that is distinct from what we see in other countries around the world. So I think immigrants and the arrival of so many immigrants has done a lot to reshape the nation's demographics and also Americans' viewpoints about diversity and immigration have also changed. Now I'm not to say that it's all uh, roses. The U.S. continues to have a number of challenges when it comes to uh, immigration and views of immigrants. Um, some uh, point to particularly the environment today with uh, comments about, for example, Mexican immigrants and what Mexican immigrants bring to the U.S. Um, that comments like that from President Trump have had an impact on the viewpoints of Americans about immigrants. Now, we haven't quite picked it up, but certainly not all Americans see immigrants as a strength for the country, and it's uh, a significant minority, about 30 percent, who say they burden the country with their, because they take uh, jobs, housing, and health care.
Yeah, I thought I, I thought that comment was especially interesting because all that I could think was um, it doesn't necessarily comport with a lot of the news headlines that you hear um, about resistance to to immigration. So I want it's interesting that there may be um, a rift between the survey findings and what is put out into you know public consciousness <laughs> sometimes. That's exactly what I was thinking that you know the, the stuff that goes viral you know and in my mind I hope that that's a small minority. 30% still sounds like a lot to me, but... Um, yes. That's right. It's not insubstantial. But the fact that that you're seeing this flip in how people's perceptions of immigrants are, that gives me hope that despite what is um, out there in the media, and, and I don't even want to diss the media because, you know, I think that's a fine line too, but the, the stuff that goes viral, I think, is the stuff that everybody sees and then... You know, you get so stressed seeing it and hearing it. Yeah. And, you know. I, I, while I don't have a, a survey of immigrants that I can point to, uh, one of the things that's always striking to me when I go around the country and I run into immigrants and I ask them about their experiences, many of them uh, 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 value what the U.S. has to offer. They see it as a place of opportunity. They wouldn't uh, go back to their home countries. Their children are really growing up as American young children. Um, and many parents will lament that their children play too many video games, <laughs> which I think is interesting. Um, but the interesting part about all this, I think, is, is that uh, many immigrants who have decided to stay uh, would do it again if they had to. In fact, some of our survey questions of Hispanics and of Asians indicate that the majority of immigrants from uh, those two parts, from Latin America or from Asia, uh, who are in the United States would do it again if they had to. Now, of course, those who may say they didn't want to do it again have left the country. Uh, but even so, among those who are here, there is a real, uh, a real belief that the U.S. has given them opportunity. So it's interesting to me all the conversations we're having, but it is also distinctive that the U.S. Uh, public has been moving in a direction of seeing immigrants in the long run, 20 years, uh, as more of a strength than a burden to the country. You know, I was initially surprised when you said that based on, you know, what some, based on some of what we hear today. But thinking about it, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, so I have, you know, a, a pretty specific set of channels through which I receive news. And it, it does seem to me like that makes sense. And I hope that what other people around the country are hearing is that this... Um, an anti-immigrant sentiment is really coming from a few very specific channels and uh, channels that aren't um, entertained by a huge group of people, which, you know, uh, makes that statistic make more sense. Yeah, with, with that in mind, and um, to your point earlier, Colleen, uh, we have community colleges, as you know, serve everyone. Open access, um, anybody may walk through the doors. ACCT um, supports and always has supported the DREAM Act. And we, we have heard of students who have withdrawn, um, even if it means just, you know, stopping out, dropping out, whatever, um, because of concerns about their immigration status, um, including young people who have been here pretty much all of their lives. Uh, so you mentioned the census earlier, and I wonder about uh, if you have any insights into how the census may affect lots of different things, public perception, um, may affect perhaps people seeking education, 
Um, all of that stuff. I'll just throw that all on you. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Thank the, you. Wor the worry about the census, too, in my opinion, is all the talk about some of the changes they want to might dissuade some people from responding to it, which, of course, ends up affecting our whole political process. Yeah, so let, first let, let's talk about what's happening with the census, because I do think that there's a lot of things that perhaps are still up in the air, some things that, that have been decided. Um, and even if we, um, even if um, uh, uh, we had had a different president, um, we still would have had a number of big changes to the census. Uh, it was already underway uh, during the Obama years. Um, so what will make the census different? The census 2020 is the first time the U.S. is going to do the census online. You'll have an opportunity to enter your census information online. The Census uh, Bureau will send you a, a, a card, which will have a code on it, which will give you a chance to go online and to enter your information uh, for yourself. This is the first time the U.S. is doing this. Um, second thing that's, that's unique about this is that um, the U.S. is going to be uh, changing the way it asks about race and ethnicity. Um, it's going to be allowing whites and blacks for the first time to uh, indicate their origin. So in the past, when you ever had, whenever you saw the question for Hispanics, the first question would be, are you Hispanic or Latino? And if so, what's your origin? Are you Mexican? Are you uh, uh, Cuban? Are you Dominican? Are you Puerto Rican? Um, that's going to be done for everybody. So for whites, you'll be asked, uh, uh, if you mark that you're white, you'll be asked, well, what's your origin? Are you Irish? Are you German? Are you Swedish? Um, for blacks, it'll be, are you Jamaican? Are you Nigerian? Are you Ethiopian? So you will, you will have, for the first time, the ability to see what this will look like for the entire country in a census. Um, we've, also, we've also been doing this for Asians for a while as well, so now we'll have it for all the key groups. And that, I think, is going to be a very interesting uh, change. See how we'll see how Americans see their identity after doing mm -hmm. that. It's like the um, people who uh, Americans have become more aware of their backgrounds because of um, DNA tests. I don't know if any of you have done yours here, um, but for some people, they've been surprised by what they have found uh, by it. Um, so that's those are two big changes. There are other changes as well for the census, including one that is focused on uh, one that is focused on. Uh, 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 using administrative records to fill parts of the census where people didn't respond. So we'll see what happens around that and also how the Census Bureau goes to uh, follow up with people who don't respond. That'll also be very interesting to see what happens. Some new things may be underway there too. One thing that did not get implemented is the creation of a special category and race, I'm sorry, we shouldn't call it special, a category for those who are of Middle Eastern or North African descent. There has been a movement to have that as a separate category um, on the census uh, race question. The Census Bureau um, uh, is not going to implement that. The, the U.S. government decided not to do that. So that's an example of one change. Now, the, there's been a lot of conversation about adding a question about citizenship to the census. At the moment, that's not going to be added, um, but I don't know how things might change. So there still might be some big change there. Um, and the other big change that the Census Bureau is doing is uh, taking privacy about its data uh, very, very seriously and, um, and uh, making it, um, I wouldn't say harder, but that to, for researchers to be able to use data like we use now, there may be more things we got to do in order to be able to access that data. Now, all of this is still in the works. It hasn't quite been finalized, but there's a lot of change coming with this particular census. Just going online itself is a big big difference from the past. The, the uh, origin is interesting to me, especially among the Asians, because we had um, 
two guys at uh, the symposium a couple of years ago, and they were questioned about the breakdown on data. And, um, you know, th- there's a perception that, you know, all Asians do very well in higher education. Yeah. And they said they didn't have it broken out, but they knew that some, like Cambodians and, um, uh, you know, uh, other groups in the minor areas were not doing as well as the students. So that was pretty, that's pretty interesting that you're going to be able to get that kind of data. Who's we'll be able to get that more so than we have with other data sources. Now, the Census Bureau has asked on some of its other surveys, like the American Community Survey, for people to indicate their ancestry. So that's been something that's been on there for a while. But this will be the first time we have it for the entire country in a required survey that is everybody has to fill out the census. Um, and this, the, what you just talked about, though, is really interesting. The, there is a... A, a growing sense that we need to disaggregate data even more than we have. And that's really interesting because that's kind of counter to the movement of the 60s, which was to aggregate up to create this group called Hispanics or Latinos um, or Latinx, uh, which is what some people might call it today. Um, and now we want to disaggregate. And many scholars in the Asian American community have been the leaders in this to disaggregate because the model minority myth has really shaped how people see Asians generally, but not everybody is the same. And so among Hispanics, that's true too. Among whites, that's, just, that's true as well. Among blacks, it's true. There is diversity in experience, even among these very broad categories. I will say one of the interesting things to me traveling around the world is when you go to a country like Spain, People know what Hispanic and Latino means, but they they don't see it as a, a European or a Spanish thing. It's more of an American thing. If you ask somebody who's recently arrived from El Salvador, are you Hispanic or Latino? And they'll say, what? I'm Salvadoran. Um, so this notion of a pan-ethnic identity is really a U.S. invention, uh, and it's something that we have sort of started to use to describe many different uh, groups. And I see people around the world using it, but it's interesting to me that it, that it's something that has really come that's come from our country. And now here we are trying to disaggregate after aggregating everything up. And maybe that's reflective of the fact of what you said earlier about that this is a con- a, a nation of of immigrants, anyways, yeah. a, as opposed to being in Spain, you know, where that would be such a foreign yes. idea. To yeah, I mean, we shouldn't go into yeah. Spanish history, but I do think one interesting <laughs> thing about Spain <laughs> is that uh, Spain has does have a long history of mixing and being a destination for people from many different parts of the world. In fact, other parts, other European powers, oftentimes characterized it as a as a country of of uh, mutts uh, because it was a country that had so much mixing uh, from the uh, from North Africa from uh, other, all around the Mediterranean, et cetera. Anyway, we can, that's a whole <laughs> other yeah. story for another day. Happy to do a podcast on that someday. I think it's it's fascinating, though. I mean, just generally speaking, not to get too far into um, a tangent, but I think it's really interesting because these, these new insights, uh, DNA testing, for example, may be the best example. Um, when you mentioned that uh, black Americans will be able to select what country of origin they come from, I mean, that's that's a complex question um, the, which some people may not be comfortable answering. Some people, unless they've had a DNA test, probably don't have any way to know. And if they have a DNA test, frankly, based on conversations I've had with many friends, doesn't really mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, some people find out who have a pretty straightforward um, background from Europe find out that they're not even from the country they thought they were from and you know things like that and I think it's really interesting because diversity is just becoming 
almost unwieldy and indefinable because it's so um, broken down by by everything. When you were talking about Generation Z, we'll be doing um, sessions on Generation Z. They're all of these different nuances, but also their learning differences, their different attention spans, their um, uh, even, uh, what are they, neurodiversity, which is becoming a more common term referring to, you know, things like ADHD or all kinds of different mm -hmm. things. And so everything is being disaggregated mm -hmm. into so many fine details um, which are either applied to people or adopted by people. It's fascinating. It's it, fascinating. It is fascinating. But it, uh, your point about sort of where we'll go with all of this, I think, is really an interesting question. And certainly, we've seen the U.S. become more aware of and sensitive to diversity. And I think that only that's only going to become more pronounced as we uh, move forward with the new generations that are coming of age who are very um, sensitive to things. But I want to say something that I think is important about about all of these notions of diversity. Many years ago, we did a survey of the US public and asked people, is it a good thing that so many people in the country are intermarrying? Is it a bad thing? Or does it not make much of a difference? Um, older generations would say, ah, it's a bad thing. Boomers would say, it's a good thing. Gen Xers too, it's a good thing. Millennials are like, don't, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's really one of the most interesting findings is that the younger generation of younger generations of Americans oftentimes uh, uh, see all of these things, want you to be aware of diversity, but it doesn't become the defining label. It doesn't become either a good or a bad thing. It just is. And so I wonder where we're going to go as we talk about diversity, what all of these additional dimensions of diversity might mean for the nation as a whole and how we see ourselves as a country. Could it be that we have a collective and like, hmm, doesn't matter? Mm -hmm. Or will this be a series of rallying points such as you start to have more ethnic holidays in cities like Puerto Rican Day in New York City or uh, St. Patrick's Day in Chicago or you know celebrating the Cinco de Mayo in Los Angeles? Will all of this become more pronounced or will it just become something that becomes just, okay, yeah, great. And just the American. impact that has it's on policy American, eventually. Yeah. You know, right. Yes. So, so that, but these are all really, I think, important and and, uh, and interesting components of the U.S. experience and what we're documenting at Pew Research on how Americans see diversity. Well, great. Um, so, with that in mind, where can people go to find out even more about all of yeah. this and uh, maybe some more 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 focused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, looks at, at these different aspects. Of well, we've done a lot of work on all of these topics, but everything is on our website, and that's www.pewresearch.org, and that's spelled P-E-W-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Um, there you'll find there's opportunities to sign up for our newsletters and also to follow us on Twitter, which is a great way to see many of the things that we have released because every day we're releasing new stuff. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe so you're notified when we release new episodes. If you have ideas for future episodes, don't hesitate to get in touch. I can be reached directly at jbray at Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.